Hi everyone, welcome to episode 16 of the Propane Fitness Podcast. So this week, a little bit of a different topic that we're planning to cover. Um, we have with us Tom Feeney, and Tom is someone that I've known for quite a while. Um, he's an ART specialist in chiropractic based in Newcastle in Whitley Bay. And Tom has helped me several times now um, stay injury free, stay pain free, and allowed me to compete at the level that I've been able to compete at. Um, so what we're gonna discuss is some things that are pretty controversial. So Kelly Starrett and issues surrounding his recent book, The Supple Leopard, the ideas that he discusses <clears throat> about posture and how important that is around his various stretching protocols, etc. And then also just Tom's opinion on various common methods that you would you would get if you go and see a physiotherapist such as you know, massage, foam rolling, stretching, and that kind of thing. And then discussing how, maybe if that's not the best way to approach things, what are some things that you could be doing to stay injury-free, pain-free long-term, um, and what's the, the highest bang for your buck in terms of time spend? So, Tom, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly for people who aren't familiar with you? Super. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, yes, I... Uh I've been uh, practicing as a chiropractor specializing in soft tissue work um, and uh, treating athletes for 18 years now. And um, I've been very early in my, even before I graduated in uh, 1996, I decided I wanted to do this thing called ART because I heard about Donovan Bailey got injured before uh, the Olympics and some uh, guy who invented the technique helped him and another fella, friend of his colleague, and they got him going. Um, and he won a gold medal and set a world record. So I thought, hey, I want to learn that. So I traveled out to Colorado to learn from these guys what they were doing. And it's now the uh, biggest soft tissue technique in the world. Uh, and um, 16,000 people have done it. Every single NFL team has it, almost every single baseball team, and every single NHL ice hockey team, huge amongst Olympic athletes, <coughs> here in the Premier League. So I jumped on the boat very early. So now I have uh, did instructing this year to teach the part of the team that helped teach the Tottenham uh, Hotspurs medical staff how to do the technique. Leicester Tigers Rugby have just had it in at their uh, facility last week. And uh, so that's what I've been heavily involved with. Uh, and I've worked with the NFL, the NHL, WWE Wrestling. That was quite good, uh, good fun. Uh, <laughs> I preferred, well, anyway, I won't go there. Uh, Premier League, uh, I did the Sunderland Football Club, uh, I'll go anywhere who pays me pretty much, even though I'm a Newcastle area guy, and I worked with uh, five uh, Olympic gold medalists through the years. You also work with Johnny from Propane Fitness, don't forget that. And I work with a lot of <laughs> really, really badass powerlifters, like Johnny from Propane Fitness, and you Cool. So, I think... ART is, is um, made, it, made its way around the fitness sphere quite a while ago from, with the help of Charles Poliquin, basically. Um, and I think people are vaguely aware of it, and I think people generally couldn't, if they had to, describe how it differs from, say, normal soft tissue work that you might do with a hockey ball or a foam roller. So do you want to just briefly describe how ART may differ to what you might experience going to a regular physio and getting a deep tissue massage, for example. Cool. 
I will. Um, one thing I'll add just before that is that ART is not just done, I should have said this, by chiropractors. Actually, in Europe and in the UK, probably slightly more physios. So it's done by sports therapists, physios, osteopaths, and chiros. Um, ART is, uh, what, the, the key to ART is the way you hold your hand, the tension over the muscle. So in simplest terms, you shorten a muscle and then you hold it. And when the patient moves their body, lengthen that muscle underneath your contact, the muscle has to slide out from underneath your thumb or fingers. And if you hold it in a certain way, the muscle, it feels good as the muscle struggles to slide underneath your finger. If you press it too much, it doesn't work. If you press it too little, it doesn't work. And there's a certain knack to the technique that it takes a little while to, to, uh, to master. And it's also very specific. I, I've been to dozens of ART seminars and loads of people show up who are excellent massage therapists, rolfers, physios, lots, lots of different things, chiropractors, heavily involved with touching human anatomy. And they struggle mightily because it, they just don't have the detailed anatomical uh, reference points to be exactly where you want to be. So to be in between two muscles of the, let's say in the armpit, in the subscapularis muscle and the straightus anterior, like on the wall in your armpit, being exactly in the right spot, it, it you don't get you don't get taught that in school basically. Yeah, I mean, something I, I noticed anecdotally from from working with you um, was, you know, I can spend all day trying to stretch the front of my hip by, you know, doing the standard couch stretch type setup, you know, jamming my knee in the corner and trying to be, extend my hip width by tensing my glutes. Um, and I feel this kind of global stretch, but then c contrast that to when I come and see you and you help me kind of release the front of my hip. It's a very, the way you feel it, it's firstly a lot less painful. And then secondly, a very specific feeling, um, almost like you're stretching what needs to be stretched rather than, or lengthening what needs to be lengthened rather than just kind of this global pressure and pain that you would feel through normal stretching. Yeah, that's a common thing that we hear. Um, I've got that on my on my website when I, you know, when I say what is ART and I describe it. And one of the things I say, it's like a stretch that you can't do yourself. So when you are doing, uh, let's say like a, a hurdler stretch or a better example is if you're stretching your hip flexors, you, you'll feel it kind of everywhere. And quite often where you actually feel it will be in your hip capsule. Whereas if I am holding a muscle like, let's say your TFL instead, that's where all the tension will be focused. And so I think that's part of the success of the treatment. One thing I probably should add is that it, it isn't necessarily, uh, what is it actually doing to change these things? Now there is some decent research to, to see improvement in hamstring uh, flexibility and in treating some repetitive strain things like plantar fasciitis or tennis elbow. But why exactly these, the research was positive? Why do people have less pain? Why is there more range of motion? That is not 100% clear. Um, the old school idea was thinking that you're breaking up scar tissue. Most people don't think that anymore, or even breaking up adhesions. In most cases, it's probably a neurophysiological response, which is big words, but to break it down, just it changes something in your brain that allows you to move further and have less pain. Awesome. So what would be the most common things you, you would typically treat? So if you were to take an average month um, at Whitley Bay Chiropractic, you know, what, what would be your average issue, injury, pain complaint, that kind of thing? Well, I, uh, 
I got smart many years ago and started doing less and less treating of athletes and more and more treating grandmoms. So <laughs> I, I uh, treat a lot of uh, 68-year-old uh, female golfers because uh, that's where the money is. I mean, that's where the excitement is. But uh, when treating an athletic population, uh, I focus a lot. Uh, I see a lot of people, of course, with back pain and shoulder pain. Uh, people who lift heavily quite often have neck troubles also because uh, maybe they neglect their neck a bit and it becomes a bit weak in comparison. But definitely with lifters, it's all about shoulders and hips. So I think the cause of that's quite specific. You know, you're getting hip pain, shoulder pain, because you're, you're trying to move a heavy barbell through space. But if you take somebody who, say, works at a desk or is a grandma who plays loads of golf, then and it's just kind of general daily moving around and they complain of back pain or hip pain or whatever, what would you say is, is the cause of that? And I guess, I guess this is where the Kelly Starrett issue comes in. You know, How much do you feel that posture plays in injury or complaints and pain? Less than I used to. Um, I think uh, I try to be fairly evidence-based and uh, I'm not a slave to it, but uh, I do think we should use evidence uh, of what, what's found out there in the research. So I don't think posture plays a huge role. The, 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 the thing I find about the Kelly Starr issue is, I've got a couple of quotes from here. I'll just, I'll just run through it really quickly. So he wrote, standing is a technique in and of itself. You need to practice the bracing sequence and remain conscious of your position at all times. And he also said, once seated, you need to keep at least 20% tension in your abs to maintain a rigid spine. It's almost impossible to remain in a good position for anything longer than that um, if you don't. So I don't think we need to be that rigid. And, and most of the research and most of the big thinkers in the field have moved away from this postural model that it's massively important that we focus on good posture. I think it'd be, I would recommend to your average person who sits a lot at work that actually that it's better to get up from your seat more often. There's no great way to to sit. Now, not that standing desks, I think, are a good idea, although you can stand in a bad posture, uh, stand in a posture that isn't necessarily uh, the best for you, too. But anyway, a mixture of sitting and standing is probably the best. Now, it is important to keep a neutral spine, so that means you're not flex forward, not flex backwards, you're sort of in the middle when you're doing heavy lifting. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't have good posture when you lift heavily, doing rounded back uh, deadlifts is probably not a great idea um, for most people unless you have to in competition. So the question is, do you train like that if you're gonna compete like that? Well, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> so maintain flexibility of your thoracic spine. I agree with Starrett. I Don't get me wrong, probably 80, 90% of what he says I agree with, but it's more interesting to talk about what we don't, isn't it? it absolutely, yeah. I, mean, I know he's, he's had a lot of um, criticism from his comments relating to posture creating pain and that kind of thing um, speaking from experience trying to stand in a certain way for any extended uh, any extended amount of time or sitting in a certain way um, all day at work you know with this kind of 20% tension in your abs uh, screwing your feet into the floor and that kind of thing is just not sustainable in my opinion um, unless you're doing the model that you're discussing of every kind of 30 minutes you're getting up and going to the toilet or going to get a drink and that kind of thing. Movement is the key. You're better yeah. off with movement. Uh, I wrote a blog post about all this topic. So if you just Google 
uh, Kelly Starrett, bad posture, put in Whitley Bay. You'll see my post on it. And I get uh, two or three people around the world read it every day. I don't know where they come from. But awesome. now, mind you, he's the one who's trained in George St. Pierre, the uh, MMA guy. Or maybe he isn't anymore, but anyway, he was when I wrote this in February. And, uh, you know, I'm working on grandmoms in Whitley Bay, so. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, that's it's something else that we wanted to get into is um, he really took the world by storm um, as regards to kind of taking some of these ideas that have been around for a long time and making them popular or trendy in the fitness sphere, especially the CrossFit world. Um, and I think it's difficult when you aren't qualified or necessarily that well versed in that area to distinguish between what is, is this something I should actually be worrying about or is this just kind of superfluous and scaremongering? So what in your opinion um, for, let's say, um, not necessarily a powerlifter or an athlete, but just somebody who is regularly going to the gym, um, who's regularly squatting, benching, deadlifting and that kind of thing, do they need to be worrying about um, you know, distracting their hip capsule with bands and spending 30 to 40 minutes every day foam rolling and doing various mobility drills or is that overthinking it overthinking it it's 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 i think it's way overdone okay the typical person who comes to see me over is overthinking it because of an influence of fellows like starrett and he's brought a lot of good i'm sure but i see the downside where people come into <coughs> me who are uh, like almost hypochondriac uh, yeah, so that that worries me a bit. That they are focusing too much on the, the people almost always who are let's say like in their twenties who come in who lift a lot will come in and say, well, I've got really tight hamstrings, or they really focus on what they can't do well. And I, I think it's more important to look at asymmetries. If one side is a lot worse than the other, that's important, and that's way more important than it is to look at someone. And we'll, we'll, almost everybody will have some issue, whether it be. Uh, tight hip flexors. All right, that is another myth. It's pretty damn rare to have to find tight hip flexors. We can you can find what is called tight rectus femoris, which is what this test. If you lie on a bench and you let your legs dangle and then you bend your knees, if your leg your thigh comes up, that is an indication that uh, it's called the Thomas test, and you can Google it, or YouTube it, and you'll see a million of them. A lot of people have it. It's almost a normal, and it, it doesn't correlate to form when we sprint. So you, you'd think it would, but it just doesn't. So in other words, stop uh, worrying about it so much. I think that's probably um, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people because if you Google tight hips, um, <laughs> you know you get hundreds of articles telling you about various things you should worry about or various stretches to fix various problems. So I guess I'm a good example of this because I'm one of those 20 something year olds that came to you saying, you know, I, I had a case where my, um, my hips were clicking and popping when I was just squatting or moving around. And I was convinced that the reason was um, I wasn't stretching enough. Basically, I was sitting down at a desk all day. And I was convinced that I wasn't doing enough couch stretching or stretching my hip and external rotation and that kind of thing. And do you want to just discuss Tom, how you approached that problem with me and how we came out with probably a slightly different approach to what most people would expect? Sounds good. Um, maybe you were gurued. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. So 
Um, one quick thought that, that I should have I lost halfway through that. I really like Brett Contreras' work, and he does this thing where he, he goes after gurus, and he was talking about this other guy he follows about testing people's um, their hip flexors while lying down on their front. So if you lie flat on your front and you have somebody pull your foot straight up in the air, if your thigh comes off the bench quite a bit or the bed quite a bit, chances are you don't have tight hip flexors. So most people are walking around. I test people all the time. I see uh, between 120, 150 people a week. I've been doing it for 18 years. And I started testing a lot of people three years ago. And guess what? I, I totally agree with him. It's pretty damn rare to see this tight hip flexor. Now, in your case, you came in and uh, your hip internal rotation was poor. Yep. I believe, right? So it, it, there is one muscle in your bum that probably hardly anybody listening to has ever even heard of that can cause that because it's tight. And it's called your quadratus femoris. And it's quite rare that that muscle is it's just not big enough to really cause somebody as big as Johnny. And boy, does he have well-formed glutes, ladies. Uh, to, uh, <laughs> that's what my wife says, anyway. Um, to, to, to be causing the problem. So anyway, what it was is form is not enough. Here's somebody who, who knows form really well. Johnny's been doing this. Uh, you know, He's a very high-level powerlifter. He knows how to deadlift. He knows how to – he thinks a lot about this. You know, he's, he's the smartest guy in the gym when he's working out. Most places he goes. But – Despite all that, because he didn't maybe do enough um, general exercise, uh, multi-planar work, like it's why we, we don't want to specialize in one sport too young. It's good. This guy who's the top golfer in the world. He played basketball and uh, pitched as a baseball pitcher until he was 17. And now at 22, he's won. He almost won three or four majors this year. He won two. And he, you know, he's quite an athlete. Well, that was smart that his parents, his parents forced him to keep doing all those sports because they wanted him to, to be diverse. So in Johnny's case, his hip wasn't doing. So I put him on the bench and I, I got this thing from Dean Somerset and a lot of you probably know his work. And the thing is, uh, you put somebody in a very difficult side plank. So you're in a side plank, but you have your arm up in the air and you have your top leg up in the air, sort of like a star position. And then I start shoving him and it's very hard for him to maintain stability. Then we retest his hip and his hip's fine. His hip movement is completely normal. So his brain was stopping, we call it motor control, his brain was stopping that hip from moving. It wasn't because of a muscle was tight or a hip capsule was tight. And that's very quick to test and find out. And I would argue the Kelly Sterrett method might push you down the road of, hey, you need to spend lots of hours really pushing those tissues. I disagree with it. I think most of the time I would agree more with a guy named Gray Cook, which Kelly Starrett is, is good buddies with and takes a lot of stuff from, is more of looking for motor control problems. So that, I mean, Gray Cook's the guy behind functional movement screening. Is, is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So and, uh, yeah. the first thing that I think you had me do um, in our, the first time I met you was a, was a functional movement screen. You had me roll around the floor and do all kinds of things on one leg. And I was pretty rubbish at most of it from what I can remember. Yes, that, that is, uh, he does two things. One's called the functional movement screen, and another thing's called the SFMA, which is the Selective Functional Movement Assessment, I think. Um, and I, I do my own kind of version because, you know, we all sort of bastardize things to our own way. But um, he, um, that's where the rolling tests are. So that's to test to see if 
you've lost that ability because quite often, you know, when we're one years old and we learn, or six months, we learn to roll over, um, quite often people who power lift or uh, become too focused on certain movements and maybe, I, I don't know if there's a connection, but anyway, they, they find it difficult. And I've had a couple people in this week who did who are pretty damn good athletes but can't do these basic movements. So the idea is you regress back to where the patient has these mechanical motor control issues. Find those. And in your case, you needed to do that. And by building back up, you know, it is a sissy kind of uh, corrective exercise. You could call um, doing side planks. And, and people do overdo side planks. People who weigh as much as I do, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> barely uh, 11 and a half stone, that, yes, corrective exercise can be overdone. But then the other side of the pendulum is people are, are sticking with the big movements too much and they've neglected to make sure they had foundational skills. Yeah, so I, I remember, I think, prior to that appointment with yourself, I was spending probably on average 30, 40 minutes a day, um, well, firstly, 30, 40 minutes a day researching different ways that I could address my problem, and then 30, 40, an extra 30, 40 minutes trying to stretch in various ways, foam roll different areas, um, and changing that one thing and stopping doing all of that and just doing side planks. I think it was three sets of 10 seconds is what you recommended to me at the time, um, made the biggest the biggest difference of anything I tried. So kind of back to what we preach of this Occam's razor, the simplest solution is, is often the best. It That was really a good example of that. Um, but I, I remember you saying that a side plank or the way that you prescribed that I did a side plank was very different to what you see most people doing in the gym of just kind of idly, idly laying there with one hand down on the floor feet on the floor and just kind of looking vaguely pained and not really trying that hard. But I think you you described, and it's what Dean Somerset discusses, this kind of full body tension and deep belly breathing while you're doing it. Totally, and it's, it's, it's a safe time. You know, you don't, uh, time time's everything. You, you don't want to be wasting your time. So yeah, do power, uh, do much harder. Check out the Dean Somerset stuff. It's all on YouTube uh, on how to do He's got a really good video where he shows the exact same thing that happened with Johnny, um, uh, where if you just YouTube it, you'll find it, where this girl has internal rotation is poor, <coughs> I don't know, like loads of people have seen this video, and it's quite cool. He just does the same thing I did with Johnny, and it worked the same way. But yeah, and he, he recommends you do a full contraction type of uh, really difficult side planks, front planks, and uh, definitely that's the way to go. Awesome. Not because you're weak. Sometimes it's because your brain isn't doing things right. Johnny was not weak. And I got a couple quick, quick story about that. I had a girl who I saw at an ART seminar who was a, um, a very, very good um, CrossFitter. And she had some problems. And so she wanted, my, she wanted me to treat where it hurt. And instead I said, well, let's, let's see if you can roll on the floor. So we had her do the roll tests and she failed. And then she said, I said, well, this is what you need to do. You need to do some corrective exercises to build back up. And, and she just said, no way, I'm not going to do that. I don't do corrective exercises. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, then, you know, uh, good luck. Now, good she's luck a, you know, a big name in, in, in her field of CrossFit, but don't necessarily follow people because they're successful uh, weightlifting or CrossFitting or in sport because they may get there through genetics and hard work and drugs and who knows. 
It's it's interesting because I think so. Um, the last two competitions I've done in powerlifting have both been uh, coincidentally the biggest competitions I've ever done, and I had niggles that I went to see Tom about and both before both meets leading up to that, um, and we kind of worked around them and got on top of them, and I was able to compete just fine. But I remember speaking to my coach, the guy that does my programming, um, Eric Helms, as most of you know, and he was saying that he made like an offhand comment of. Um, you know, I wouldn't know how to help you if you weren't experiencing pain in somewhere somewhere in your body. You know, if you if you were a powerlifter that had no injuries, I wouldn't know how to help you. Um, and the comment that he made was that the only person he can think of that he's coached who is regularly um, injury-free is a guy called Bryce Lewis, who also used to coach me. And coincidentally, fitting in with what you were saying before, Tom, Bryce, before becoming a powerlifter, I think for most of his youth, was a pretty high level volleyball player so moving in various fields um, jumping landing and then prior to that I think he was a, quite an accomplished gymnast so whether there's anything to that theory you know that he's developed this foundation in sports that aren't highly specific in one plane or one movement pattern and then moved into specificity and is now managing to remain injury free it could be coincidence it could be supporting your argument I think there's a decent amount of research to back it up. I don't follow it greatly, but I see the posts all the time from the head researcher guy from Gray Cook's uh, SFMA, a guy, his name's uh, Butler, he's at Duke University, and he's always posting things about that multi-sport and the evidence to say multi-sport uh, in youth is, is a great idea. And there's, so there's a good chunk of evidence to say you should go that way. So if you've got kids, make them do something that's like gymnastics or basketball or something like that. Vary it. Yeah, yeah, vary it because that, that's always a good idea. And don't, if you want to become a great footballer, don't just play football. Cool. That's great advice. So I think, you know, distilling all this down, you've got somebody who is either injured or suffers from knee pain or back pain or whatever it might be. And I think um, something that is commonly, a common concern for somebody in that position is I want to go see a a physio will get professional help but I'm worried that I'm just going to get enrolled on this you know 30 week course of treatments and I don't notice anything from it you know if, if somebody's in that position would you say before going and getting massages or trying to address the problem yourself doing something like a functional movement screen and addressing the basics first is, is the way to go yeah we yeah. call it uh, performance therapy uh, I wrote an article recently about in um, for athletics weekly magazine about Greg Rutherford and uh, how performance therapy helped him get over his hamstring pulls. He had 17 hamstring pulls. He went into this method, this philosophy of treatment, the same kind of stuff that, that I try to follow guys who, who led me in that direction in the first place. And um, yeah, look at the success now he's had. He, he might, if he wins this week, he'll have won all four major things. Um, so yeah, you need to... Um, you need to go in that direction, in my opinion. Okay. So, leading on from that, then, if we're not going to spend all evening, um, you know, attaching a band to our hip and trying to distract the joint and all that kind of stuff and listening to everything Kelly Starrett says, what would you suggest? Um, the, the kind of the best things we could be doing on a daily basis, like daily habits, as it were, um, that somebody who is just a, a gym enthusiast could be doing. So is foam rolling a good thing to be doing? Should we be stretching after training? 
what would you okay. recommend? Well, the foam rolling, I, I, I highly recommend everybody follow uh, Chris Beard's league's research review. He's the uh, right-hand man for Brett Contreras, and he does. Um, I'm pals with him, and sometimes I, you know, even with Johnny, when I wanted some advice, that's the guy I go to. He's the most well-read, well-largest uh, written research reviewer in the world by far, and he's out of Manchester. Anyway, he, he did this huge thing on foam rolling. Look it up if you want to see it. And basically his conclusions are that foam rolling is a good idea. For the most part, the research is positive. It doesn't affect, it doesn't cause, where static stretching can decrease performance slightly um, in the short term. So let's say you do a lot of static stretching and then you actually won't be able to jump quite as high. But foam rolling doesn't have that negative. It has lots of positives. But we don't know how much to do, dosage and all that kind of thing. It's unknown. Is it 20 seconds? Is it 30 seconds? Is it 40 seconds? Um, should it, how much should it hurt? Uh, I've actually written an article about it uh, coming up about foam rolling ART for Train Magazine and um, Bodybuilding.com. And I talk about the do's and don'ts of foam rolling. But I was, the guy, um, he's like, hey, I want to hear the don'ts of, of, of what we should do for foam rolling. So I was like, okay, that's what I'll write. You know, I, I plan <laughs> to write something else. But he's like, this is what I want to know. So anyway, follow the advice. Yeah, foam rolling is cool. Static stretching after for a short bit of time is, is, is fine. If you're doing 40 minutes of anything, you're doing that. If you enjoy doing it, that's fine. But that you can be more productive with your time. You don't need to do that. Um, test your motor control. Make sure that you can do these rolling tests. You can find them on YouTube. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Shane Lawler in, in Ireland, has um, lots of everything on YouTube. Look up Lawler Elite, and he has uh, rolling patterns test. It's only like a minute and 15, and the guy in there shows all the different rolling patterns that you need to do. So that if you, if you want to do this stuff at home for free, follow a guy named Perry Nicholson. Uh, Nicholson, like nickel, like uh, five P piece in America. Um, stun, and he he's the expert, the world's expert on, on rolling patterns, and they're a good way to start. Make sure you're able to do them. Make sure you have good ankle dorsiflexion. That's the one that a lot of guys miss. A uh, guy came in because he knows Johnny recently, and I, I told him I was going to talk about him today on here, and he's like, "That's cool." <laughs> and he had uh, he he's wearing uh, he he might be overthinking a little bit, and he he's he's got uh, I'm sure he'll be listening to this. So anyway, you sometimes ankle dorsiflexion. Uh, mean basically how, how far your knees can come in front of your toes. That's something you need to look at. So foam rolling your calves. It, if we'll find where your weakness is and, and foam roll it. But we're talking about only for a minute or two. And that's what I would do. I wouldn't say, and if it improves, great. If it doesn't improve, or like if you can't control butt wink, let's say in the squat, that could be just the way your hips are shaped. So stop worrying about it. People probably spend too much time trying to get it lower. Great. Um, so I, I think basically, if we kind of condense it down, foam rolling's good. Ideally, see a professional and get a functional movement screen or similar done. Um, or you can test yourself online. Yeah, or test yourself online. Find online. online. Um, online. Have your friend come on. It's not rocket science. Okay. And then there's a, there's a lot of discussion about you know should I, I, you mentioned there stretching can decrease performance or or power output. Um, if done immediately prior to exercise, do you think that foam rolling, it's you know, let's say the function, the, the purpose of a warm up is to get warm, and then maybe improve length te length tension tension relationships, that kind of thing. Should somebody be foam rolling pre workout? Um, 
I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't know that there is evidence one way or the other. I'd okay. probably say no. Just I would probably warm up, work out, do full body movements before you work out. Then after you're done working out, foam roll prior to static stretching and static stretch for a little bit after. Because there, there is a, a decent uh, research paper recently that found, I think it was for um, hamstring and for quads, found that uh, foam rolling followed by static stretching was best. It was better than just foam rolling or better than just static stretching, combining the two. While, while we're on that, just a, a quick link. There's a guy called Max Shank who writes for T Nation and he, he does a whole warm-up series which is based around this idea called flow, which is essentially what you just discussed. It's not anything specific. Every time is different and is literally just moving between multiple planes, multiple movement patterns, and keep keeping moving for, say, 10 minutes. And that's his warm-up. So that's a good that's a good link to check out. Um, but so that's a great recommendation on, you know, get warm, train, try and work in some multiple movement patterns, multiple planes into your training, and then foam roll followed by some static stretching. But just briefly, how would somebody go about foam rolling? You know, I think there's lots of different ways that it's discussed online. Um, and then also, how would somebody go about static stretching is that kind of a no one knows for sure how to foam roll no okay you know because there's no there's no evidence to say so um, there's no advice to say just kind of if it feels right cool but maybe just do a little bit less if you're going on one of these crazy kind of like uh johnny folks who <laughs> most people who, who who succeed become overly obsessive with working on it that's just normal right yeah. that's part of the successful uh, paradigm or whatever. so but we don't know foam rolling I would say just do it for a few minutes on, on your weak areas. Quite often it's a good idea to foam roll. Your, let's say your ITB is a problem, right? A lot of people know the lateral knee pain or the tightness in the outside. You cannot stretch your ITB. That's another myth. But what you can do is you can foam roll your TFL and your glutes, which tie into your ITB. So that's what we usually recommend is foam roll and then static stretch your glutes and then just foam roll your uh, TFL and you can find all the stuff and if not contact me and I'll, I'll point you in the direction of it foam roll those two and then obviously keep make sure that your glutes are strong um, I just posted an article today I found where this 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 team in Korea I think it was they found that if you did a Kel Kelly stereotype move where you had a TheraBand around and you did a glute bridge and a TheraBand around your knee they found that that reduced anterior pelvic tilt and increased glute max contraction so I'm not saying never use a TheraBand. I think it actually can be quite good. Um, but that's not for stretching. That's for making you stronger, which is more important. Cool. And then for, for stretching itself, do you recommend the like the PNF type patterns or just do you want to just Nothing hang static. on your hamstring? Nothing wrong with PNF, but I think as that study said, I'd say go with what the evidence says, which is foam roll and then do static. Okay. And static just means for, for, for those who aren't into this stuff just means holding the position a traditional old like trying to touch your toes and just staying in that position cool well Tom thanks for dispelling some some myths and I think clearing things up for a lot of people uh, I certainly have learned a lot from working with you and um, I'm pain-free the vast majority of the time which I think is more than a lot of powerlifters can say so how do we find out about you and if somebody doesn't live in Newcastle and can't come see you, how would they go about getting some ART? Cool. Um, ART people, a lot of them know how to do SFMA, so most of them will tie the two things together, testing your motor control, and not just treating muscles that don't need to be treated. And the best way to find ART people is to go to activerelease.com.
com, and then there's a Euro Europe um, tab at the top, and then you can find a provider by location. Um, if you struggle with that, there's quite a few people who aren't necessarily on the website now. Um, and if you get in touch with me, and I'll try to point you in the direction of somebody, because I know quite a few people who are UK-based in Ireland that uh, I could point you in the direction of. Okay. And Tom's too modest, so he won't say this, but if you live in Newcastle or the surrounding areas, um, I think you're based in both Whitley Bay and in Gosforth. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Jasmine. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I've, I think I've already seen all of your friends though, John. <laughs> and they, they were all similar to you. They came in and they told me all these different They're all worried. problems that Kelly stared. I mean, uh, I don't know where they got these ideas from. <laughs> but they had all these, uh, oh my God, my hamstrings are so tight. It's like, yeah, that you were born that way. Don't worry about it. Oh, I bet they came away feeling better though. They're doing great now. And so oh, there you go. Kicking your butt. The next, uh, part of the future. <laughs> so somebody lives in the surrounding areas. How do they get in touch with you? And how do they come see you? I'm, uh, you can see me through the activerelease.com website. You can find my website in there. Uh, my Or just go direct. My website is called uh, whitleybaychiropractic.co.uk. And also I have a small Facebook page called Manual Therapy UK. Uh, yeah, Facebook. Great. All right. Well, Tom, thanks very much for coming on. Um, it's been great speaking to you. And we'll have to have you on again soon sometime. I thought of a couple of myths and then forgot them as I was sitting there talking to you. So cool. Go on. I'll have to brew them in my I forgot them already, but uh, maybe next time. All right. No problem. All right, guys. Okay, that's thanks a lot for having me on here. No problem. Been a pleasure. All right, guys. Thanks. That's everything from this episode. And we'll be back next week with episode 16.